Agnostics, agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government hug the government love, the government hug the government love, the government Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American policy and politics. I'm Trey Orndorf, a political scientist at Oklahoma Christian University, and I'm joined by the professor of law at Chase Law School, Ken Katkin. Welcome to the show, Ken. Hey, it's great to be here, Trey. Now, Ken, the last time we did the show together, we were trying to come up with your title, and you promised that you were, you know, I had suggested oh. the Midwestern Socialist, <laughs> and you had laughed, and you said, I'll think about this, and I'm going to give it thought. Oh. I wonder, have you, have you given your title any consideration? Oh, my God. I completely forgot about that. I'm so sorry. Uh, I will uh, let's give me one more episode to come up with one. I, I just totally forgot that. So I didn't do anything. No, that's all good. Well, it's a good point because, as a matter of fact, we're going to be doing the next show as well. And so this is a good time to kind of let listeners know uh, we're going to be taking next week off. It's our traditional uh, holiday break. It's Christmas, Christmas next week. Uh, and so next week, there will not be any episodes of The Politics Guys. But then Ken and I will actually be back the following week, a little bit early, uh, so that you don't have to wait quite as long. We'll have a, a, an earlier show for you coming out next week. So, Ken, you know, over the break, what you're going to have to think about is <laughs> your title. <laughs> what, 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 yeah, I'll come up with something that you can call me. Okay. <laughs> Now, now you make it sound like an insult. We don't want to just call you. We, we, we want to we want to knight you with it. You know, we want to kind of okay. you know, yeah. think about it in this positive tense. <laughs> then I better come up with a good one. <laughs> okay, so listeners, why don't I lay out what we're going to be doing on the show this week for me and Ken? Uh, we're going to start with all. Uh, well, this week's big news for the criminal contempt vote in the House uh, with Mark Meadows. We're going to begin there. And then we'll expand on that story to talk a little bit more about what's been coming out of the January 6th committee itself. After that, we're going to move south. We're going to talk about the Texas lawsuit um, and specifically what's happening vis-a-vis the Supreme Court and the way it remanded it back. We'll also talk a little bit there about how other states, in this case, California, have been potentially using this same unique, I will say for now, mechanism um, to potentially have uh, gun laws, uh, something that we had talked about on the show before. We'll then move to some more, even more breaking news. We'll be taking a look at Russia, specifically its demands uh, this Friday morning uh, concerning NATO. We'll talk about its buildup on the border uh, with Ukraine and how that relates uh, to American politics and to NATO. Uh, uh, then we'll also be talking about Omicron, Specifically, what some of those uh, policies ought to be as we're taking a look into the winter. Uh, we'll talk about the Biden administration's petition to the United States Supreme Court on that front. We'll also take a look at Congress's raising the debt ceiling by $2.5 trillion and a little bit about the CBO's newest rating on Build Back Better. So we've got a big pack show, Ken. So before we get into anything, uh, we're just going to take a quick break. Okay, Ken, well, welcome back. Uh, why don't we get started with the show? And let's take, get started with Mark Meadows. This past week, it was the full House voted to find Mark Meadows in contempt of Congress. Now, this matter, of course, moves now along to the Department of Justice, where they're going to have to determine what they're going to do. Now, we actually got to talk about a similar circumstance. We had made some predictions on this uh, for Steve Bannon, where the DOJ moved 
relatively rapidly uh, uh, to bring those charges against Bannon. Now, in that case, it was a different matter because Bannon, as we had pointed out in the show, is a private citizen, right? He doesn't have and was during the period for the communications. And so as a result, he doesn't have any kind of claims for things like executive privilege. Meadows, on the other hand, was working as President Donald Trump's chief of staff. Uh, He has provided documents to the select committee, but he's arguing also in court because he has sued uh, that the subpoenas are overly broad and is specifically refusing to testify. And it is his refusing to testify, which ultimately led to the contempt vote. Uh, That contempt vote, which happened this week, uh, passed, but of course, with only two Republicans crossing the aisle to pass it. So Obviously, there's kind of two major elements here, Ken. One is the focus on Meadows. And I think we want to kind of focus there, uh, both what we think the DOJ is uh, going to do, his suit. Uh, and then I would like to kind of get a little deeper into the weeds of the documents he's provided so far and why those documents suggest why his testimony may be so key. So we can get a little bit more uh, deeply into that. But, I mean, where we might want to start here, I mean, something that we didn't have to deal with with Bannon was is this executive privilege argument, right? So last week uh, on Thursday, a federal appeals court ruled against former President Trump saying there was, quote, a unique legislative need for documents. He had uh, tried to halt this. In other words, they had narrowed what they were talking about for his executive privilege. We're seeing this coming up again. I don't think this is going to be the last time we're going to be hearing about this legal argument. So I thought maybe, Ken, you could just start by running us through what really is executive privilege uh, so that we can then maybe start talking about it in terms of of Meadows. Yeah. um, So I will talk about executive privilege, but even before we start that, I want to bracket it by noting that um, although that's the one you're hearing a lot about right now, um, I think as things move forward, the privilege you're going to start hearing a lot more about is not executive privilege, but the Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination. And I Um, wanted to get to that too. Yeah. Yeah, And I think you're right. We've already heard that individuals could be leading the Fifth and that's a that's a unique. So, yeah, please do both. Yeah, so, so I, I think um, both um, Jeffrey Clark and uh, John Eastman, um, the, the the two lawyers who were the sort of principal architects of the of the legal theories that underlied the coup, um, they've actually already pled the Fifth Amendment rather than um, uh, executive privilege. So they're 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 grounds for um, uh, why they won't talk to the January Sixth Committee um, relate to their claim that crimes were committed and they don't want to incriminate themselves. And I think that that's um, going to be. Um, the direction that we see most of these claims moving in, uh, because it's it's a uh, there's firmer there's firmer ground there for for people who don't want to testify. Um, so executive privilege to to come back to that. Um, Executive privilege is a, a a judicial doctrine. It's not something that is spelled out anywhere in the Constitution, um, but it is something that has been recognized by the U.S. Supreme Court, um, really beginning in the in the United States versus Nixon case in 1974, the the Watergate tapes case, which Nixon lost unanimously. So even though the the court recognized executive privilege in that case, um, not a single justice um, was willing to actually apply it to the Watergate tapes case. So um, what it is and why they wouldn't apply it there, um, the the concept of executive privilege is an evidentiary privilege um, along the the lines of other kinds of evidentiary privileges that exist in the laws of evidence. So that may sound technical, but the, the, the big idea is 
Um, there's certain kinds of conversations or communications that people might have with each other that um, normally would be um, things that they could be asked to disclose in court. But in the law of evidence, uh, there's there's some um, some rules that allow certain conversations to be withheld from court, even if they're relevant to the disposition of a case. The, the most well-known one would be the attorney-client privilege. So if, uh, if, if, a, if a client talks to their lawyer about the facts of their case um, to, to help prepare their case, uh, the, the party on the other side is not allowed to subpoena the lawyer and say, uh, tell us what your client told you. Uh, even though that probably would be um, truth enhancing because the, the court probably would um, be able to get to the truth better if it knew what, what the clients had told their own lawyers. Um, but the idea is that there's a um, there's an even stronger public policy interest in um, making it possible for people to hire lawyers. And, and nobody would ever hire a lawyer if, if doing so would mean that everything they told their lawyer would be disclosed to the other side. Um, other kinds of rules like that in the law of evidence would be things like the spousal privilege. Um, it's generally not permitted to, to um, um, subpoena a spouse and ask the spouse what their spouse told them. Um, and again, the idea there is just not to destroy marriages. Um, there's a priest penitent privilege. Um, so um, when, when, when people go to confession in religions that have confession, um, the, the priest can't be subpoenaed and, and um, asked to disclose what was confessed. Um, and I think there the idea is that priests probably wouldn't disclose it anyhow, and there'd be a public policy against just sending them all to jail because people gave confession to them. Um, so sometimes you have these public policy reasons why um, certain information, particularly information about communications that took place, um, are shielded from disclosure in court, uh, even though their disclosure would actually help the court get to the truth in the individual case, um, even though the evidence, in other words, would be relevant. Um, and so what the court said in United States versus Nixon um, is that much the same way that clients in litigation need to be able to communicate with their lawyers with a reasonable de degree of um, certainty in the confidentiality of the communications, uh, that the, the president um, needs to be able to communicate with uh, his own top deputies um, about the conduct of the people's business. So if, if the president has to make hard decisions all day long, um, it's in the public interest that, um, the, that the, the president be fully informed and that the president have considered a wide range of perspectives and objections to different actions he might take. And so he needs to hear um, all the information that's available. He needs to hear all the perspectives that are available if he's going to be able to make decisions that are that are best for the public. Um, and that means that um, he's counting on his top deputies, whose job is to talk him through these things, um, uh, much like a, a client's, like a lawyer's job is to talk their client through a case. Um, that that he's he's counting on them to speak frankly and fully and and not um, self censor themselves because they're afraid that their their conversations will wind up being disclosed. And so that's the basis of executive privilege, that because the public has a strong public interest in having the president be um, fully informed on issues of public business, um, that his own top deputies um, who are involved in those conversations with him to fully inform him um, uh, can expect confidentiality in those communications. Now, in the, in the United States versus Nixon case where um, a special prosecutor had subpoenaed um, the Oval Office recordings, there were audio recordings that were being made around the clock in the Oval Office by President Nixon. Um, he was actually using a, a secret taping system that had been installed by his predecessor, Lyndon Johnson, who also used it. Um, but there were 
there were there were tape recordings that would have disclosed what was being said in the Oval Office by everybody who was physically present there the night that the Watergate burglars were caught and and the next day. Um, and so the special prosecutor subpoenaed those tapes, and Nixon asserted executive privilege as a basis not to turn over those those tapes. Um, so the the nine nothing court said, well. There is such a thing as executive privilege along the lines that I just talked about. It's presumptively something the president can claim, but um, it, it, um, it, it, it's not absolute. It has limits. And um, if, there's, if, 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 if there are presidential communications that are bona fide evidence of, of crime, um, whether it's the president's own crime or whether it's the, the, um, someone else's crime that might be prosecuted in court, um, then, then that evidence can't be concealed um, on an executive uh, privilege theory, um, and if the if the president is making a claim, well, I can't turn over any of these tapes because none of it is crime, but all of it is privileged. Um, then what the court said in the Nixon case is, well, that that's that's going to be contested, and so the way that has to be resolved is. Um, the, the the federal district judge who's managing the case, if in that case it was litigation, it'd be a little different here because it's Congress. Mm -hmm. But the, the the federal district judge who's managing the the case can look at all the materials in camera, which means secretly and privately. So he's the only one looking at it, and he can make judgments about that. And anything that he thinks is not evidence of crime, he can return to the president and never let the person who subpoenaed it look at it. But anything that he thinks is evidence of crime, he can turn over to the prosecutor and they can make it public. So there's been a little bit more debate about how, how that applies to congressional subpoenas where you wouldn't have a, a federal district judge in that position. Um, but the basic concept, I think, um, you know, not necessarily the mechanism, but the basic concept that executive privilege is, is presumptively there to protect communications between the, the president and their top deputies about the public business, but, but not um, absolute not there to, to, to protect um, evidence of crime and not really there to, to protect conversations the president has with other people who aren't his deputies. And that's where this, the Steve Bannon uh, thing um, is on very weak ground, I think, for Bannon. Um, the, 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 those are sort of the concepts that the court has spelled out over the, over the, over the last 40 years, 50 years now almost. Yeah. Well, then here's my question, because that's the kind of the direction I thought you were going to head. So it seems to me, and you already had brought this up in terms of uh, pleading the fifth, one of the elements in the Nixon case is this question of whether or not you potentially have crimes. But if other individuals are already pleading the fifth, doesn't that presuppose that there must be certain kinds of crimes taking place around the materials? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, um, you know, that 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 itself is, you know, relevant if for you and me if we want to think about how to, what do we think is really going on here yeah it seems that means there's crimes um, I think that wouldn't be directly relevant if this was being um, if, if this litigation had come from a pro if, if this subpoena had come from a prosecutor yeah, rather that's than what from I was asking Congress. the prosecutor yeah yeah, continue. yeah yeah so if it came from a prosecutor rather than from Congress then the determination of whether the materials are evidence of crime would be made by a federal district judge who's actually looking at the contents of the communications um, and and not um, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be um, you know exactly relevant whether other people had taken the fifth and other people have uh, the right to take the fifth um, and and people could take the fifth even if there's no crime um, you know one of the reasons we have the Fifth Amendment is the idea that. Um, 
um, even where there's no crime, um, experienced prosecutors know how to uh, make people say things that will sound incriminating. And so and so we, we do have the Fifth Amendment partly to protect that idea that, you know, ordinary people can be tricked and tripped up by experienced prosecutors who can make them look guilty of things even when they didn't do anything. Uh, that's one of the reasons people have a right to take the fifth. So I, I think when people do take the fifth, um, you know, as a practical matter, as a realistic matter, there probably normally has been a crime and they don't want to be implicated in it. But at least um, from a legal perspective, the the, the that we don't know whether there's been a crime or not. Well, Ken, I'm going to pause this for just a minute and we're going to pause for a, a potential brief word and we'll be right back. Okay, so Ken, we had left off and we were talking about uh, specifically the Fifth Amendment and how a crime doesn't necessarily have to have been committed. It's, it's a mechanism of protection. And that was something you had mentioned earlier on, too, uh, in terms of the different kinds of privileged communication, it, meaning that there are certain things where you can't force individuals to provide information in a court setting, uh, discovery. And I think for you know, listeners sometimes, you know, this might be a little bit confusing, these ideas, right? Because I think there's this kind of broad level conception that what uh, courts are fundamentally about is getting at the truth. And one of the things I always attempt to explain to my classes is that if you're, if you're concerned about justice, you can't maximize uh, a desire for truth necessarily, right? Uh, because justice presupposes that you have certain kinds of rights and privileges. And so this, that, that's really what we're getting at here. And so one of these privileges, as you were outlining us before the break, was executive privilege and how it, how it works. And specifically, you're saying in terms of the Nixon case, uh, that if you're going to have this, you you would have generally a judge handling it. But in this case, we've got Congress so that in the specifics, it may not work the way, obviously, that it had uh, uh, with, with the uh, proceedings of the Nixon. So what do you think the DOJ is going to do with this criminal contempt vote against Meadows? Well, I, I think they're um, gonna gonna wait and see if he pleads the fifth. I, I think if um, Meadows takes the Fifth Amendment, he will not be criminally prosecuted. Uh, but I think if if Meadows uh, continues to assert executive privilege without taking the Fifth Amendment, um, I believe he will be criminally prosecuted because he his his executive privilege claim I think is frivolous um, for for maybe three different reasons. Um, and you know before we saw the events of the last week or two, like I think when we talked about this um, a couple weeks ago, I expected that he'd have a little bit more merit to his claim because he was in fact one of the president's top deputies. He he is one of the people that executive privilege would apply to. But I think the reason his case has become frivolous. A, he turned over thousands of texts and emails. Um, and when he turned them over, um, he explicitly said that everything he was turning over were things that President Trump didn't claim executive privilege over. Um, and, and so that's already kind of part of the record here. So if he's talking about materials that um, the President Trump didn't claim executive privilege over, that he's already turned over, and that in fact are very clearly evidence of crime, because you know everybody can see those texts and emails, um, then for him to say that he's not going to talk about them now, 
um, that he's kind of got some buyer's remorse now that he turned him over and saw how that made Trump mad after all once because Trump probably never knew what was in those things <laughs> when he said turn them over. But now yeah. Trump got mad at me, so I don't want to talk anymore. You know, I, I think it's a little late um, to, to claim executive privilege not to explain materials that he's already turned over and that he himself has said aren't privileged. Uh, now, the, the I don't want to interrupt you, but I do want to ask yeah, a yeah. question here because that's this is your, your first point. And yeah, this yeah. is something that's different from the Nixon, which is my only you know, primary experience yeah. with this, right? In the case of the Nixon with the, with, it was all about tapes, document, right? It was as a physical yeah, thing, yeah. right? In this case, the, it, it all hinges primarily, he's arguing that he shouldn't be able to be deposed, i.e. have to be, right. you know, answer questions. So my kind of follow-up here, because this is something I'm, I'm curious about as well, is, you know, you've mentioned, you've already given us these this this body of information is there any kind of precedent on the testifying portion because it seems that once you have evidence that you couldn't then say i can't testify about the evidence that is already revealed i and, but again i couldn't find anything about what if there is any uh precedent on testimony in terms of executive privilege i'd only seen it in terms of things handing over documents yeah Right. Well, that's that's because that's why I really mentioned the Fifth Amendment. I think that the, there's not precedent analyzing this 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 the distinction between testimony and documents in light of executive privilege. But that's a major fault line in Fifth Amendment privilege. Right. So in, in Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination, um, there's much stronger protections um, uh, against uh, having to testify than against having to turn over documents. So in the, in the Fifth Amendment doctrine. Um, there may be situations where the Fifth Amendment doesn't protect document disclosure, uh, but the Fifth Amendment substantially always protects um, um, testimony. So um, merely invoking it and saying, I I'm not going to um, give testimony because if I did, it might tend to self-incriminate me. Um, that's usually going to be a silver bullet, and I think that still would be a silver bullet for for Meadows right now. Uh, so that's what I think you know he may he may do. Um, now I should also so so I think if he only sticks with executive privilege, he's he's heading for uh, criminal prosecution. Yeah, well, well, the other, that was number yeah, one. Yeah. You had two more. Yeah, so yeah. please so, continue. Yeah. So 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 an, another thing is that um, uh, that um, President Biden, who is the president, um, has said that the the White House is not invoking executive privilege here, and so for for Meadows to try to say that um, he can. Uh, that a former president can invoke executive privilege when that when the current president doesn't. Um, there's no precedent for a claim like that ever being successful. And I think, um, although on the one hand, I don't want to predict what this Supreme Court will do because I think they're they're very partisan and biased, and they they might just side with Meadows be, because he's because he's Republican. Um, but but if we if we separate it out from that and and think about the theory of executive privilege, um, you know, usually the theory of executive privilege is that if there's political brawls between the the branches of, of, of government, the, the the legislative branch, which is the Congress, and the executive branch, which is the um, president. That the the courts don't want to get drawn into that. Wait, um, I'm, I'm going to pause you right there. Yeah, I think yeah. you, you mean the executive branch is the president and Congress 
the legislative branch. Yeah, yeah. Oh, did I say that you backwards? That I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It took the me a minute. Like, Wait a second. Why is the legislative branch? <laughs> yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting overexcited here, Trey. I'm sorry about that. No, it's yeah. okay. So, it's okay. So, I, so, I just so, want to make sure so, I wasn't missing yeah. some like you know judicial voodoo that I wasn't sure about. No, no, you no, know? no. Okay. No, yeah. So, so the, the 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 executive privilege is a doctrine of separation of powers, um, and um, doctrines of separation of powers arise when there are conflicts between the branches. Uh, now, here there is no conflict between the branches. The, the, the Congress and the president are on the same page as each other. Um, Biden is the president, and he is not invoking executive privilege. Trump is not the president. And so executive privilege is about protecting the interests of the executive branch. It's not about um, protecting the interests of individual persons. And so Trump's just an individual person. Biden speaks for the executive branch. So I I think that um, both in terms of the complete lack of precedent um, for the kind of claim that that Meadows is making, that the former president could, could ever Invoke executive privilege, and even in terms of the theory of executive privilege, I think that would make it, um, you know, a non-starter. And the final thing I was going to say is that Meadows, you know, not only disclosed all these documents, but he wrote a book, Um, and in his book he talks about a lot of this stuff, and so um, that's completely inconsistent with a a claim of confidentiality, right? That that if we think of it as an evidentiary privilege, and the idea is that there's communications that need to be kept secret and confidential, um, you know, then that would be the idea that he wrote a book and he's making money, you know, by talking about these same communications um, seems to me to be very factually a fatal problem for an executive privilege claim. So given that he, you know, you've got these kind of three broad outlines, why do you think then that he's suing? Speculate with me a little bit here. Why sue specifically on executive privilege as opposed to potentially just going the route of the fifth why go that round if it seems so straightforward that he can't win? Well, I, I don't know that he's forfeited his right to take the fifth. I think he can take it later. Oh, I didn't so mean forfeit I, in that. I, I just meant why, yeah, yeah. why, why bother now? with the – I mean he, he has an active suit going forward or, uh, you know, postulate, postulating that he has executive privilege. That these are overly broad yeah. subpoenas. Uh, and, you know, he's already he has already provided enough material and therefore doesn't have to testify. So if the grounds are is, is straightforward and shaky, as your three prong there suggests, yeah. wh- why even make that argument and not go for the more solid grounds of the Fifth Amendment, even at the outset? That's what I, I'm yeah, asking. Yeah. Yeah. So. So, yeah. So I think um, Jeffrey Clark and uh, uh, John Eastman have gone for the more solid grounds of the Fifth Amendment right at the outset. And, and of course, they're lawyers. But but I think um, with, with Meadows, the way I see that is, um, I think, first of all, they don't want to have everybody take the Fifth because that just makes it look like they all know there was a crime, right? And I think, you know, Trump is certainly pressuring people um, not to say, oh, yeah, we, we all did a crime and we don't want to talk about it. I think he, he would still like to take the position that no, no, there was no crime, there was no criminal conspiracy, the White House was not involved in in um, whatever the physical attacks on January sixth, et cetera. Um, so I think from their for their political stance is that it's better to take executive privilege than to take the fifth. Um, I think taking executive privilege and litigating it all the way out, if he loses all that, that doesn't stop him from taking the fifth after that. So he can certainly, um, you know, keep that as a fallback if he needs it, but not have to take the um, not have to take the the less palatable uh, political position early. It also gives him actually more room to delay. And, And one of the things they're doing is running out the clock because I think they expect 
that um, after November of 22, the Republicans may um, regain the majority in the House, the January 6th committee will be over. And so just just litigating all these things, um, you know, could could make them go away. Um, so there's the delaying tactic there. And finally, I suppose it's possible they think that the Supreme Court is corrupt enough that it'll it'll just rule their way because of who they are. And so they, they don't um, necessarily have to have a, a meritorious argument. So, you know, my, I mean, we've kind of been dancing now. We've all been focused on the procedure. We've been kind of dancing around what actually has been the content of what was coming from uh, Meadows and what we're seeing from the January 6th especially the, the the text messages and others. And so what I really want to do now is kind of maybe kind of think a little bit more expansively. We can continue to talk about Meadows, of course, but in context of what the, you know, the content of what he's provided to the committee. Um, but before we get into that, uh, I just want to let, let our listeners know that this is going to be, this is the portion of the show where we're going to be ending our free and supported uh, preview. Uh, so you'll, you'll know that uh, when we get to this point, uh, there, we have a lot more to come in the show. If you want to have access to the rest of the show, if you've if you've enjoyed the preview uh, and you want to know more about what Ken and I are going to be talking about, you can get the entire episode, um, which generally runs closer to two hours, uh, by becoming a supporter at patreon.com slash politics guys. Uh, you can also support the politics guys and get access to the show uh, via PayPal by going to politicsguys.com slash support or, of course, through uh, Venmo, where we're at Politics Guys. Now, again, we know that this is a di there's difficult times in people's lives. I've certainly been there. So if you'd like the full version of the show, but you're just simply not in a position financially to support the podcast right now, you can reach out to Mike at mikeatpoliticsguys.com and just let him know, and he's going to be happy. We'll set you up with access to the full episode each week. So I don't want to uh, spend too much time here for our supporters as we move forward, uh, but I do want to take a moment on the uh, preview to support some of our absolute newest supporters, and I hope you guys will be enjoying the full show. William, Judy, Mary, Sean, a longtime supporter who recently increased his support for the show. Thank you so much. And Lewis, thank you so much for your generous contribution to the podcast through PayPal. We, we deeply appreciate that. 